Good morning. The scripture for today is Psalm 32, verses 1 through 6. Please stand in honor of reading God's word. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him. Please be seated and take a moment to reflect on the reading of God's word. you don't, you'll be helped by having your Bibles open to Psalm 32 today as we spend time this morning looking at the first five verses and then next week looking at the final five verses. When you you come to the Old Testament, maybe it's helpful to know that it's divided into five different segments and those segments are sequential. So when you read through the Old Testament, you're reading through these segments, each as they follow the other. First, the law or the Torah, or sometimes called the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. The second section, which begins in Joshua and ends in Esther, 12 books of uh, history. So Israel's history there, Joshua is bringing them into the promised land. And then basically what happened there? We understand the history of the Israelites through those 12 books. Then you have in the third section, five books from Job to the Song of Solomon. And those are known as wisdom or wisdom and poetry. And then you have the major prophets, five books, and then the minor prophets, 12 books. The minor prophets aren't minor because they're less important. They're minor because they're less wordy. So uh, Malachi, which we just finished in a series here, is four chapters. Uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, that's a number of chapters, 30, 40, 50 chapters in those books. So that's why they're called the major prophets. And a prophet like Malachi is called a minor prophet. So that makes up the books of the Old Testament. And this morning, and also through the rest of the summer, we're going to spend our time in this third section, the wisdom and poetry literature of the Old Testament. And we're going to read through some of the Psalms and then spend most of our summer looking at and examining the book and the wisdom that comes from Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. So uh, when you think about the wisdom and poetry literature, it's really something that um, appeals to the emotions. If you're creative, if you're um, a visual learner, then you're going to really like the wisdom and poetry uh, section of the Old Testament. If you're a right brain user, you know, the right brain, left brain. If you're a right brain person, you're an artist. 
If you're a left brain person, you're an engineer. So all the right brain people here will say, yes, you know, wisdom, poetry. That's, it appeals to, to create creativity. It, it appeals to the right words sort of crafted together, pictures that you're supposed to bring to your mind. If you like, if you're a left brain person, well, you just have to exercise your right brain here for the summer. Uh, but if you're a left brain, you like first and second kings. Here's the first king, here's the second king, here's the third king. It's just linear, or if you like the Romans, if you're a, a left brain. You just, here's the argument, and Paul just builds on it. I'm more wired in that way. I'm closer to the, the engineer than the artist. But, so I'm going to be exercising my artistic skills here as we look through these passages. And we want to think of the Psalms as, as individual works of art. It's a song. It's a poem. Somebody, in this case today, David, sat down and he, he wrote this out of his heart. He wrote it out of his emotions. He's not just jotting down information. He's not getting reports back like Luke might have done for Luke and Acts. Luke, the physician, he's writing those two books and he's gathering information like you might think if you were a biographer. And he's just recording information. But that's not what hap is happening in the Psalms. The Psalms is a person pouring out their emotions. Something has happened. They have some feelings and they, they need to get them out in some way than just uh, narrative. Listen to the familiar words of Robert Frost in The Road Not Taken. Two, two roads diverged in a yellow wood. See immediately your imagination. Two roads. What do those roads look like? A yellow, not just a wood. See, that's, that's me. Two roads and a wood. That's, you know, that's my brain. But if you're creative, it's, it's two roads diverged in a, in a yellow wood. And immediately as the reader, you're, you're standing at this point where something's going to happen. Which, which way is the person going to go? And sorry, I could not travel both. And be one traveler long I stood and I, and I looked down one as far as I could. So you finish and you're standing there and you, you see him. He's looking down these roads and you're thinking, he's trying to figure out which road should he take. And he ends by saying, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by. And that has made all the difference. Well, when you read that, you, just, you know it's not narrative. It's a poem. It's expressing something about Robert Frost and where he was maybe at some point in his life. And he, he had to make a decision. And, and he was just one traveler, but he couldn't go down both roads. And he, he looked down the roads and he tried to decide which one. And he landed on the road that was less traveled by. So it's, it's not narrative. It's poetry. He's using these images and emotions. And he's carefully crafting together these words to communicate a, a truth that most people can understand. And that's exactly what we see in the Psalms, especially here in Psalm 32. There's songs. The, the artist, in this case David, is crafting together these words and these images to help us see some eternal truth. And so we're going to listen in to his song this morning in Psalm 32. It's helpful to have a background, what's happened in David's life, to understand how he's gotten to the point that he would have written this particular psalm. 
You know that David was one of the three kings over the United Kingdom of Israel. That was Saul, David, and then David's son Solomon. David was specifically picked by God to be the king of Israel. And one day, day while his army was out fighting, he was up on his roof and he was alone and he spotted a young lady named Bathsheba, beautiful young married woman. And David began to imagine and visualize things about her and him being together in ways that were grossly inappropriate. And instead of doing something to distract himself, instead of doing something to wash his mind of these images, he he acted. And thinking only of himself, deceiving himself, believing he was deceiving others, even God, he misused his God-given power to satisfy his own sexual desire. This man who had been chosen as the king, the last one in the line of this great family, they pick him out of the field. He's a shepherd. He's not even around. And God lays his affection on David. And then he brings him through all kinds of trials to to be the king. And here in this moment, David's just jettisoning all that for his own sexual satisfaction. And like a hot coal that leaps out of a fireplace of a home into the living room, David's one sin begins to quickly consume his entire life. He's responsible for Bathsheba becoming pregnant. And then in an effort to hide his sin, he murders Bathsheba's wife, her husband, or her husband, sorry, Uriah. Uriah was one of the great soldiers that had surrounded David in times of, of trouble. He's one of these, these 30 great men that were around David. Probably was side by side fighting for David's life. Risking his own, sacrificing his own for his king. And David has to put him to death to try to cover up his sin. So in complete defiance of God, foolishly believing he's deceived everyone, David then proceeds to live his life to marry Bathsheba and act like nothing ever happened. Nobody will ever find out. Nobody really knows. But God sees. Proverbs 5.21 For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord and he examines all his paths. For a man's ways or a man and woman's ways, they're in full view. There, there's no, no cloud on the horizon that God can't say, gosh, I just I can't quite know it's full view. God sees all of our ways and he examines all of our paths. And God then informs Nathan of what David has done. Nathan, the prophet who, prophet who has the unenviable task then to go communicate on God's behalf to David and say to David, you're the man. You're the guilty man. You're the reason our country is in this particular predicament. And God has seen it and he has sent me to you to say, we see it. Now, what is David going to do? Well, David uh, confesses that we'll see in just a few moments. And sometime after that confession, this great confession, I've sinned against the Lord. Sometime after the confession, he writes Psalm 32. 
So that gives us a background as when we go into Psalm 32. What, what's coming out? Psalm 32 is one of seven what's called penitential psalms or songs of repentance. When you, when you have a heart that's burdened with guilt, you need some biblical language to, to help you open up in some way. And there's seven psalms that will be your friends as you walk on your way towards Jesus. Psalm 32 will be one of those. And you see the psalm here is divided. You can see it easily. It's divided into two parts. First, chapters, uh, chapter 32, verse 1 through 5 is autobiography. He's telling you, this is what happened to me. And then you see in chapter, in verse 6, therefore. That's a transitional phrase. Now, now that you, I've told you about my story, therefore I'm going to give you some advice don't, don't go in my direction. Do something different than what I've done. And so David starts out and where we're going to spend our time this morning in this autobiographical section. And then we'll turn our attention. We'll, we'll pivot like this word, therefore, into his advice. So autobiography and advice. First, autobiography. Let's just look at, at these, sec, these verses as they unfold here before us. Verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. So, so notice how David carefully crafts these words to illustrate the full measure of his sin. He's seeing his sin clearly and he's trying to express, I've, I've seen my sin. And he, he uses three different phrases to, to get at it like a 3D image. The first one he uses is transgression. It, it means I, I've completely rebelled or I've lived in complete defiance of God. That's the first way David can clearly see is that the, my main problem, my starting point problem is I just lived in complete rebellion to God. I am the king and I've decided to not live according to the king of kings. Some of you are old enough to remember the old uh, Burger King commercial. Remember the little jingle? Have it. Have it your way. And that's what David was saying. God, I'd like to have it my way. And you know what? I'd like for you to get out of my way. That's a great definition of sin. God ha has given us his image to live on the planet, to, to be business partners with him. And what we've decided to do is say, I don't need a partnership. I would like to be the owner. And what I'd like for you to do is either serve my needs or get out of my way. And that's essentially what David has done. He sees his transgression. Second, he sees his sin as sin. It's a Hebrew word that means missing the mark. Uh, the image is of an archer. He's aiming at something. But the archer, the, the arrow has fallen woefully short of the target. And David knows that without a doubt he has completely missed the mark. And third, he uses the word iniquity. And in the Hebrew, it means twisted. Sin has a deforming effect. Unconfessed sin has a deforming, twisting effect. It, it twists your soul into hideous shapes. It twists your mind into to making you believe that, that what you're doing is okay. It's okay. 
I know you've heard this whisper. Hey, it's okay. Hey, it's the last time. Hey, nobody's going to know. Hey, let's keep this quiet. See, that's the, the twisting effect of sin and deceit. And it twists your mind and, and you start thinking, not only is this not bad, it's a good thing. So David understood that his, he, he got deformed, his mind got twisted. And in these opening verses, David is trying to fully acknowledge that in every way sin dominated his life. He's not trying to, to, to give an escape in any way. And then I want you to notice in these verses as well, uh, David correspondingly, correspondingly, and this is what I love to see, he double parks another word next to these words for sin. He, he says, yep, this happened, and then I'm going to move a word in here, and I want you to see that, yes, even though this happened, something great is double parked right next to that word. My transgressions are forgiven. See, I've lived in complete rebellion, but here's something that's going to double part my soul and not let me escape that God is going to forgive me. It, it means to lift or remove. God is, God is lifting this crushing weight of sin that's killing David. He's going to lift it off and he's going to forgive David. My sin is, is covered. David lived like a, a, a naked man who was constantly trying to reach out for some kind of clothing. So afraid somebody would see what he's done. And the picture I think that you can draw from that is Adam and Eve. You remember them in the garden. When, when, they, when they turn away from God, what are the th what's the first thing they're trying to do? They're trying to cover themselves. I don't want anyone to see me. And, and you can't cover yourself. It's like, I don't know if you've ever painted a wall or painted something that's been rusted or has a water stain. And you paint over it, and for a week or maybe a month, it looks great. But what happens? It just bleeds through. And no matter how many coats of paint, this sin was bleeding through. And David was constantly trying to cover himself, and he couldn't cover himself. And God says, no, I'm going to cover you. Imagine the emotional energy David had to use trying to cover his own sin. He's the king. Always trying every conversation. Oh, maybe they know something. Always trying to cover something up. And, and David's saying, no, that, that's been lifted from me. And God is going to cover me. Finally, this iniquity is not counted. <laughs> Stunning. It's not counted against me. David has abused his power. He's misused people. He's murdered someone. He's tried to cover it up. And David comes to the Lord at the prompting of Nathan and says, I'm a sinner. I, I've sinned against the Lord. And God says, I'm not going to count it against you. Now, this is a huge relief for David. But you, you have to at this moment think, well, what about Uriah? I mean, what about his parents? 
I mean, okay, he's forgiven, but, but this sin better count. We can't just let him off the hook, God. It begins to ask the beg the question, is God going to be fair? Is it fair if God just says you're forgiven? No, the sin has to be accounted for. Somebody has to count the sin. Somebody has to pay for the sin. And of course, this brings us to the gospel, does it not? It anticipates what's going to happen. It brings you towards 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. God was reconciling. And that word means I'm thoroughly changing your position. You were in a position. I'm thoroughly changing your position. You were dead. Now you're alive. You were in darkness. Now, now that you're now you're in the light. And he was reconciling the world to himself through Christ. Not what? Counting sin against them. Because who was he counting the sin against? Christ. So he is counting every sin. And so when you look at the cross, you're not going to say God's unfair. He took it. He made an accounting for our sin. So David is is released from this terrifying dimension of sin. And it's coupled with this incredible pardon. And so all he can do is sing out. And this this doesn't this doesn't sort of transfer, but blessed. That's the word. He, he can't just say it. Well, bless, bless I, I'm blessed. Bless the Lord. No, he's got to sing it. You, have you ever felt something that you say, I just can't sing it, say, say it. I got to sing it. Yeah, I, I love you. Well, that no, I got to sing some song. I got to I got to have some emotion. I can't just say something. So David's saying something so tremendous has happened. This this burden has been lifted off of me. My sin is not counted. So I've got to sing. I can't sing. But I mean, if I could, I would I would just break out into a song right now. And he's saying, blessed is the man. Blessed is the one. He's he's got to just sing it. He can't say it. He's got such relief. And finally, to top it all, all off, he's, look what he says. In my spirit, there's no more deceit. Man, what a relief. Kent Hughes says this, deceit is the currency of sin. So David had built up all this trust. And in a moment of deceit or sin, he traded in all of the trust for deceit. And now the only thing in his wallet was deceit. That's the only currency David knew. And David understands I've gone to God's counter. And he, I'm exchanging currency. I'm turning in all of my deceit. And he's giving me truth and righteousness back. That's what's in my wallet. That's what's in my soul. There's no more deceit in me. I'm, I'm completely done. God has completely forgiven me. And I've gone to this exchange counter. And I've, I've traded in deceit for truth. Proverbs ten nine. the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. So David is walking securely. He's not worried about somebody finding out because God has exposed him. God has forgiven. God has covered. God has not counted it against David. Verses three and four. Notice the. The vivid descriptions David gives again, like a poet would for when I kept silent, 
My bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long, for day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My, my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. You see in your Bibles, the, the little word there in italicized uh, writing, Selah, S-E-L-A-H. You'll see that in the Psalms, and it's a, it's a musical notation. Nobody's quite sure what it means, but it's probably meant that when you come to that point, there's some, some kind of musical uh, note or something that's happened musically that helps you understand that, that my strength was dried up as by the heat of the summer. I, I'm totally dried up. And the music comes in to help you realize, here's a soul that all the juice has just been sucked out. When I kept silent, silence is, is one of the great lies of deceit. This is one of the, this is the hundred dollar bill of deceit. Hey, you know, you've done wrong, but... Let's keep that. Uh, let's just keep that between the two of us. Let's just make sure nobody, nobody, nobody else needs to know. James five sixteen. Confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's something about saying it out loud, not just saying it to the Lord and not to everybody you've ever met, but somebody that you can trust to say, I, I, I need to open up my soul. I need you to know who I am. I, I don't want to be hiding. And so can, can you hear this? Can you speak words back from the Bible of how God can forgive? And that's when healing begins. That's when emotional, physical, mental, spiritual healing begins. You, you say these things out. You, you bring your deceit out of the darkness and into the light. And healing begins. And then I just love this, again, this 3D description of what unconfessed sin felt like. My bones wasted away. It literally meant I felt old. I'm a 30 or 40 year old king. I felt like 130. I just couldn't get myself up in the morning. My bones were just aching. And my groaning, I'm groaning all day long. A better translation is roaring. Roaring. I have a roaring in my soul. I'm keeping it silent, but in my soul, there's a roar. There's a, there's a train engine coming through my soul. And I can't even hear myself think. One commentator said it this way. Unconfessed sin produces a guilty roar on the other side of silence. Unconfessed sin produces a guilty roar on the other side of silence. See, I can't tell. I mean, you look all squared away to me and I to you. But it's very possible that you're sitting here and there's a guilty roar in your soul. Because you believe this lie that I've, I should just be silent. Nobody knows. Night and day. All the time. It never goes away. Charles Spurgeon, so, so 
a well-spoken, better a world on your shoulders like Atlas than God's hand on your heart like David. Oh, what a picture. Oh, you, you would be better off trying to be Atlas and carry the world than have God's hand pressing down on you. Night and day, so that my strength is dried up as by the heat of the summer. See, see, all the, the juices of my life have been sucked out. The, the silence has sucked the joy out of my life. If you visit me emotionally, I'm a desert. I mean, I can shake your hand and I can smile, but if you come to me emotionally, I don't, I don't have anything. I'm a desert. I am a wasteland because I've got this unconfessed sin that's consuming all of my time. It's consuming all of my energy. I'm like a, a person in the heat of summer. I don't have anything left. And notice what David couldn't find comfort in. He couldn't find comfort in the fact that he was the most powerful person on the planet. He couldn't find comfort in that. He couldn't find comfort in that he was one of the most wealthy people on the planet. He couldn't find comfort that now that he's married with Bathsheba, he can do whatever he wants to Bathsheba. That, that, none of that's finding comfort. What the world offers cannot lift the weight of your sin. No position, no power, no person, no pleasure. Nothing can weight, lift the weight of sin. Only God can do that. And thankfully, we see uh, a way out here in verse 5. I, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So, so David is giving us a pathway to pardon. Here's, here's, he's, he's trying to give you the autobiography, and now he's saying, this is how you find your way out. It's not by denial, it's by declaration. The way out is not by denial, it's by declaration. The way out of your unconfessed sin is not by denial, it's by declaration. I can't say that too many times. It's not by denying things, it's declaring things. It's bringing things out into the light. It's saying things so people know, God knows. And exposing that so you don't go down that. That's the path David went down and he was crushed. And, and notice he matches the words from verses 1 and 2 here in verse 5. I acknowledged my sin. I said, I've missed the mark. God, I wasn't even aiming in the right direction. I was aiming in a totally different direction. I, I did not cover my iniquity. I, I said this out loud. I said this to Nathan. Nathan, I'm twisted. My soul is deformed. My thinking has twisted me into somebody I never could imagine I could be. I confessed my transgressions. I, I have said I live or lived in rebellion. So, so the pathway to pardon is declaration. It's not denial. It, you can find this event back in Second Samuel verses uh, chapter 11 and 12. It's probably worth your reading later today. But Nathan comes to David. He exposes David. He uncovers David. 
And David says this in chapter 12, verse 13, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said, the Lord has taken away your sin. Incredible. I've acknowledged. See, David was just one moment away. One confession away from this release, from this this freedom. And the forgiveness is instantaneous. What, What New Testament parable are you reminded of when you hear this? Someone who's wandered a long way away from the king of kings. He squandered all of his wealth and wild living. He's finally decided, I can't eat like this anymore. I've got to go home and I've got to find my father and I've got to confess to my father. I have sinned against you. Luke 15, the prodigal son. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven. I have sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, what? Right now, bring the fatty calf immediately. Not, uh, well, okay. We're going to put you on the JV for a while. See if that works out. You do okay. You know, no, immediately. The forgiveness is immediate. That's why David's saying, blessed. I can't say blessed. It's immediate. It happens right now. It's, It's lifted up off my soul. Just like the prodigal son. Put a ring on his finger. Put something on his feet. Bring him a new robe. Kill the fatted calf. My, my son who was lost, he's been found. And, and you can just see Jesus wanting to scream out. See, this is what's available to you through me. In an instant. Amen. It can happen in just an instant. But you have to be willing to come to the Father and say, I have sinned against you. I am saying it out loud. And I'm confirming it by finding somebody that I can trust to say the same. So I don't go back in that dark pit anymore. Many years ago, I think, uh, gosh, 1984, I traveled uh, out west to see the Olympics in L.A. And when we came back, we stopped in uh, the Grand Canyon. We didn't have a lot of time, so we just stopped there for overnight. And uh, a buddy of mine and I decided to hike down about halfway down into the Grand Canyon. You could get to this place. I think it was called Plateau Point. And you, you got about halfway down in the canyon. And you could look over and you could see the Colorado River. And it was a long hike, but for two guys, you know, and had all day. We weren't carrying any packs or anything, so we we hiked down, and we get uh, most of the way down, most of the the vertical drop down, and then it sort of flattens out. And, of course, on your way down, you're seeing people come back out. Some of them are coming halfway. Some of them have started at the bottom early in the morning. And, of course, when you're coming down, they're coming out. What are they asking? Oh, how much further to the top? Because, you know, it's one of those back and forth, you know, you can't tell. And it's all uphill, the last, you know, the last couple of miles. It's just, and you have these big packs if you've been there overnight. And you, I mean, I feel sorry. I, I mean, I've got like a water bottle on my finger. You know, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, it's tough. It's a long way, you know. 
And so we're going down, and we pass uh, these two girls, big old packs. They'd spent the night down in the, in the bottom. And they're, how, how much, for, well, I mean, it's a long way. Let's not, you know, you're not nearly there. Just keep it up. And so we go out to Plateau Point. We sit there for a while. We walk back. We start walking out. Guess who we pass? Same two girls. Tiny little steps. They got their big pack strapped to themselves. And here two young men, college aged. We look at each other. We look at them. And hey, it, if, you, if it would be okay, we'd be happy to take your... <laughs> I mean, we didn't even get to the end of the sentence. I mean, they just thought we were going to say, we'll take your packs. But as soon as we went there, it was, <laughs> it's off. And I mean, it just flew off their back. And they were like, blessed are you, you know. See, you're just a moment away. You're just a, you're a moment away of taking that unconfessed sin and just, it's gone. It's not counted against you. You carry it no more because Christ carries it home. This is all messages are important, but this really speaks to the soul. So I, I want to just give you about 60 seconds just to quietly to think before the ushers come forward or anything. Some musical play. And it's just what, however God may have been speaking to your heart, you. You let the Holy Spirit wrestle with you in that way, and then I'll close us in a prayer in just a moment. speaking a song into David's life um, 3,000 years ago and, and then using it to speak into the lives of your servants here to, to plead with them to, to, to not do as David did and to live no longer with this unconfessed sin but to, to bring it to the one who can carry it, who can account for it in full. And so I pray, I pray for each one of us here as we, we've said some things to you um, 
Now may we take it in the right place and sit with somebody and, and, and confess our sins so to someone else so healing can begin. Help us to, to live no longer and to deal no longer and to trade no longer in the currency of deceit. But in trust and relief and forgiveness, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.